ghosts, specters, whatever you want to call them, they've been around for thousands of years. Apparently she died from a tooth infection in one of the upstairs rooms in the house. As have the locations they haunt. History of a Haunting podcast tells you all about these famous, infamous, and almost famous locations, and why they became terrifying places to visit. Grab a glass of wine and settle in with your hosts, Archie. I mean, that was definitely the wrong thing to do. And Carrie. Nobody asked for it, Carrie. Nobody fucking asked for it, but <laughs> hey, my podcast, and I'll say what I fucking want. <laughs> Two people just winging it in life, and this podcast. So enjoy this week's episode of History of a Haunting. Hi guys, welcome to History of a Haunting. I am one of your hosts, Carrie Hopper. And I am your other host, Archie Bass. And we are coming at you from Skype again this week because somebody, I won't name names, was exposed to COVID-19 again. Hey, somebody's (laughs) boss tested positive and didn't stay home waiting for the test results to come back. So it's not my fault. Yikes. Seriously? Yep. Ew, yuck. How many people other than you were in contact with? Um, at, least, at least six. Oh, Jesus. That's irresponsible. Fortunately, we do have a mask protocol in the office. So, so yeah, every, every party involved was masked. But still, we need to steer clear of as many people as we can until the two-week period is up, which it for is- me is tomorrow. Yay! All right, so then you'll be back here in quote in studio <laughs> next weekend hopefully hopefully um yeah no we all feel fine we haven't felt you know no symptoms no nothing yeah yeah so uh yeah so we're doing this on skype again and uh <laughs> <laughs> Koi said something last night about um, you know, every time we have to go in quarantine, it's because Uncle Archie's come across somebody that's <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, it's not because, you know, he's being irresponsible, but I mean, you still work in your office and you still, you know, you can't control the people that are working in your office too. And it's just one of those things. It's easier for us to avoid it because we literally never fucking go anywhere. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, we're doing recording over Skype and Yeah. That, that'll be that. Next weekend is a big recording weekend. I think, Arch, next weekend we may need to stick to just, you know, go back to the tried and true um, Moscato because we have our episode and then we have a big, our very first episode of Sometimes People Suck that we're recording next weekend. Okay. And if I can find the time to do the script for the second episode, we might do that one too. Oh, God, why? Well... <laughs> Because we released two episodes right out of the gate for History of a Haunting, and I think we should do that for Sometimes People Suck. Yeah. (laughs) I guess. Sometimes podcasters suck. Sometimes they do. Um, (laughs) All right, so I just have... I just have... um, one EVP to go over. Um, I've mentioned it before on the show and I'm going to always keep mentioning it because I swear to God, I love this, 
this new live show that EVPI um, does every Wednesday on Facebook. And this last week, they had Brandon Alvis um, on, and he's the founder of American Paranormal Research Center. He was... Um, he actually is also on the new uh, reincarnation of Ghost Hunters. So for those of us who are fans, not Archie, <clears throat> um, wow. for those of us who are longtime fans of the show, um, most everybody knows that Ghost Hunters was on Sci-Fi or the Siffy channel, as um, a lot of folks call it. For a great number of years, I think like over 10 years, um, Ghost Hunters was on Sci-Fi Channel and it was about TAPS, which is the Atlantic Paranormal um, Society led by Jason Hawes and Grant Wilson. Well, then after their contract, I guess, didn't renew, um, the show left Sci-Fi and then kind of went on a brief hiatus. There was a time toward the end of Ghost Hunters where Grant had actually left the show because he wanted to spend more time with his wife and kids. I mean, he was constantly on the road, going to different locations, filming the show and what have you. So he left to have a little bit more family time. And then once I guess his kids got older, Ghost Hunters was no longer on the sci-fi network. Jason and Grant still kind of parted. They're still friends, but they still kind of parted ways. So there's two new shows now. There's Ghost Nation, which is um, Jason Hawes, Steven Gonzalez, and Dave Tango, which were part of the original Ghost Hunters. They've got their own show. And then Grant Wilson started a new group and kept the Ghost Hunters name, and he's got his new show. And this Brandon Alvis is on that new show with Grant. Um, so that was a really long explanation as to who this dude is. But uh, – <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but um, he – was um, showing different pieces of evidence that he's caught over his career. And then we had the opportunity to ask him some questions. So I got the opportunity to ask him what his take was on stone tape theory. And Arch, you and I have talked about this theory in some of our locations that we've done. And just kind of as a reminder, it's it's the idea that an emotional or traumatic event um, that maybe led to a death will have kind of imprinted itself on certain types of stone, limestone, that kind of thing that oh, buildings right. are made out of. Yeah. Right, right, right. With the idea being that that traumatic event can create a haunting, sort of like a residual haunting where it's just kind of played on a loop. But the idea, he said the idea of stone tape theory actually came from a movie in the 70s called The Stone Tape. And this movie is the one that introduced this idea that a traumatic death or whatever can be sort of imprinted or recorded on certain types of stone or rock. And that it's sort of been, um, what's the word I used a minute ago? It's, it's sort of been parroted back. That's what I said. Parroted back through other paranormal researchers that have paranormal reality shows as a legitimate phenomenon that can occur. However, he said this Brandon Alvis fascinating guy really knows his stuff. He co he approaches his investigations from more of a scientific viewpoint. Um, so he said, there's not a whole lot of evidence to show historically that this is actually true more that it's just a really cool idea introduced in a movie and people just sort of took it and ran, which I can see. I can yeah, absolutely yeah. see. Yeah. So I was really interested to, to hear what he thought about that. And, and, um, 
what his his opinions were um, on that. So that's what he said. He um, he made a really good point where he said that when he started in this business, he start he's a skeptic, which I thought was really interesting. He's like, there are skeptics, and then there are just non-believers, and you're never going to be able to convert a believe a non-believer. Even with evidence, they're always going to insist, no, you, you faked it, you did this, you did that. A skeptic, on the other hand, you could con- conceivably convince that paranormal um, happenings, paranormal activity, ghosts, things like that are real. If, they have, right. if they're coming at it from an, an actual science and, and scientific viewpoint, um, they're able to, you know, see with their own eyes and be like, hey, you know what? There is no other explanation for the fact that this jar just scooted across the table and dropped to the ground <laughs> kind of a thing. So um, he was really fascinating. He said that um, a lot of what he is trying to do within the community is to put a lot of emphasis on the environment. No know the environment that you're in, that you're investigating in and everything from like barometric pressure to, you know, the temperature outside, the temperature inside, the fluctuations, things like that. The environment that you're in plays a critical role in if you're going to have paranormal activity going on, if it's something that is something that could be really conducive to generating paranormal activity, is there enough electricity in the air to, for the apparitions or whatever to, use that energy to manifest it's it was really fascinating um and so i I highly recommend everybody watch this episode there on um facebook on nad voices facebook page um he caught some of the most insane evidence and again i was watching the show while i was working and so (laughs) i've got like my desk set up and i'm drawing docs and i've got my ipad up and he was like, here, this is a video that I took years ago on the Queen Mary. That place, Archie, is the more evidence I see people get from that place. I'm like, we've got to go. Uh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and there's Archie's excitement level. Um, <laughs> you really need to watch it, Arch, seriously. They, I know. They, um, and in fact, I'll record for you this one piece of evidence that he caught he was training a new paranormal investigator and she was um she had a mini dv camera and they were down in the the um changing room of the pool in the in the saint mary in the saint mary's no queen mary <laughs> fuck um they were down in the pool area the queen mary and they were in the changing room and she was kind of panning the camera around the dark changing room and she caught something in like the second changing room. And when I saw it, I literally jumped back so far in my chair and gasped. My mom came running out of her room and I rolled back like two feet because I (laughs) was so stunned at what they caught. I literally was like, "Ah!" and like flew back in my chair. It was unreal. So I'll record, I'll find it and record it and send it to you. But um, yeah, I highly recommend everybody watch these weekly, these weekly shows, they have the most amazing people on them as guests and they talk about their experiences and and things like that. And it's just really for, for those of you who are, um, super into the paranormal and you want to learn how to be a paranormal investigator, I highly recommend watching these, these weekly, these weekly shows that they do because they're pretty awesome. Um, okay. Yeah, so that's the only EVP that I have uh, to cover, and, and then our- now we know why it's named. Yeah, 
Endless vocal prattle. That's me. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Arch, why don't you tell the good folks who the Patreons, plural, of the week are? The Patreons of the week are Robin and Emery. Yay! Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Very much appreciated. We are, yeah, we're very, we, we're very, very appreciative of you, um, of both of you. So thank you so much. We are a little, little behind on sending out our welcome packets, if you will, for our new Patreons. Um, but we will get those out this next weekend because, well, Archie and I haven't really seen each yeah. other. He hasn't been able to find the cards, and it's a whole thing. So um, oh, they I are the on the cards at your house. <laughs> well, you, I know because you were going to come back and then film, sign them, and then now. Oh, yeah. Uh, then, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Life happens. Life happens. And death uh, happens. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we haven't forgotten about them. We're certainly going to uh, get them out to all of you. I think we have uh, four we have to send. So, um, but Robin and Emery, thank you very much for your generosity. We are super, super grateful. And here is a standing ovation to you from us. Okay. Yay. Thanks guys. Uh, welcome back. Let's, uh, jump right into this week's location. Um, I chose it because it's a nod to my future home in Raleigh, North Carolina. We are going to the Mordecai slash Mordecai house. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's fascinating uh, why there's the change. Okay, good, because like you and I were talking before we started recording, I couldn't find why they changed it from Mordecai to Mordecai. Um, so I was hoping that you had had found that. Um, full disclosure, I didn't look very hard. but <laughs> <laughs> uh, So yeah, Arch, let's get, in, let's get into the history of this place, because of course, we've got to go. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, yeah, this is a little nod to my future home in Raleigh, North Carolina. All right. As as Carrie said, we are going to the Mordecai, Mordecai house in North Carolina, United States. And I got my information as read from RaleighNC.gov. Oh, all of it? Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. The house we now know as the Mordecai house was built for the Lane family in 1785. Joel Lane, famous for selling the land which would become Raleigh, built the home in 1785 as a wedding gift for his son Henry Lane and Henry's new wife, Polly. When the Lane family occupied the house, it was a one-and-a-half-story, four-room home. Henry, Henry, Polly, and their four daughters, Peggy, Temperance, Harriet, and Nancy, occupied those four rooms. The Lanes owned 2,000 acres of land. Family family wills show that there were 14 enslaved African Americans here when the Lanes owned the property. No information survives about the names of the enslaved workers or their jobs. It is not believed Henry Lane ran a farm or plantation, so one can only assume that the enslaved workers in the late 1700s and early 1800s worked in the home, cooked, took care of the horses, did the laundry, etc., and took care of the Lane daughters. Okay. Henry Lane died when he was 33, leaving behind his wife Polly and those four daughters. The widowed Polly Lane remained with her daughters at the home until her death in 1813. 
The four Lane girls then inherited the house, land, and enslaved people. After their parents died, the Lane girls lived with their grandfather, Colonel Hinton, at his home in Clay Hill. In North Carolina? Yes. Okay. Receipts indicate that the Lane home and land was rented while the girls were living with their grandfather. So now Mordecai, or Mordecai, house is named for Moses Mordecai, who, in 1817, married Henry Lane's oldest daughter, Peggy. Okay. Moses was from a prominent Jewish family based in Warrington, Warrington, North Carolina, where his father had founded and operated a school for girls. Moses was an ambitious young attorney when he arrived in Raleigh to practice law. When he married... Wow. When he... When he... When he married Peggy Lane, an Episcopalian, (laughs) this created tension in his family. His father did not attend the wedding held at Clay Hill. It may have been these circumstances that caused Moses to change the pronunciation of his last name from Mordecai to Mordecai. Oh, okay. Yeah. The newly married couple moved into the house and were joined by Peggy's three unmarried sisters, Temperance, Harriet, and Nancy. In the years that followed, Moses' brothers, George and Augustus, also moved into the home. Both brothers came to rally to study law under Moses. In addition to working as a lawyer, Moses began to run the land around the Mordecai house as a cotton plantation. Okay, okay. So initially, it didn't start out that way, but it was just a house on a fuck ton of land, and exactly, and he decided to monetize it, basically. Okay. Now, did it anything you find say that the brothers also were like, yeah, we're totally down with changing it from Mordecai to Mordecai? I, I didn't find anything about that, but they didn't do anything to change it. Okay. Okay. So. All right. Before Peggy's death, due to complications in childbirth in 1821, she and Moses had three children, the eldest being their son, Henry, the second, a daughter, Ellen, and the third, a son, Jacob. In January 1824, Moses married Peggy's Peggy's youngest sister, Anne Willis, or Nancy. By this time, Moses was in failing health. Moses died six weeks before his fourth child, Nancy's first and only daughter, Margaret, was born. Although Moses named his widow, Nancy, as executor of his estate and guardian of his children, George Washington Mordecai continued to live with the family, his brother, and acted as administrator. Okay, I believe it's pronounced executor. Uh, You're probably right, but... Aaron will let us know. (laughs) (laughs) In his will, Moses left funds for a, quote, proper home for his family. His widow chose to enlarge the existing house. William Nichols, the state architect who had remodeled North Carolina's first state house, planned the massive Southside addition. When the work work was completed in 1826, the modest hall parlor dwelling had been transformed into an elegant neoclassical house with eight new rooms. Woo, fancy. Oh, no. Moses' son, Henry, upon reaching 21, inherited Mordecai House and the surrounding plantation. 
He married Martha Hinton. He was 26. She was 16. Henry and Martha had four children, Margaret, Moses, Mary, and Martha. <sighs> Moses uh, died. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Moses died at the age of four, so during the fourth generation of occupancy, the house would once again be inherited by women. Henry continued to manage the Mordecai land as a plantation. Census records indicate that Henry's main cash crop was corn. The enslaved people that lived and worked on the Mordecai plantation did much more than working in the fields. Cheney and Sabina were nursemaids that took care of the children. Charlotte and Millie worked in the outdoor kitchen to prepare food for the Mordecai family and to prepare the midday meal for the enslaved people. Dick was a blacksmith and Davy was a cobbler. According to three narratives written by formerly enslaved people, Henry was not kind to the enslaved people that lived and worked at Mordecai. Is it Mordecai or Mordecai? It's, oh... Uh, Mordecai, 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 Mordecatano, I don't know. <laughs> okay, the house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working with a lot of history here, trying you, to get God, so many fucking names. I just don't, I can't even keep up. <laughs> <laughs> After Henry's death in 1874, Five, his widow and two of her three daughters, Martha, Patty, and Mary Willis, remained in the house. The other Mordecai sister, Margaret, had married Dr. William Little and moved into another home in nearby Raleigh. It was Martha Lane Mordecai, Henry's widow, who <laughs> faced the reality that Mordecai House could no longer operate as a farm. After her husband's death, she sold off all the farm equipment except for that which was absolutely necessary. Okay. Miss Patty Mordecai inherited the house from her mother and lived in it in her entire life of 89 years, eventually Damn. sharing it with her older widowed sister, Margaret Mordecai Little, and her five sons. Oh, for God's sake. I know. Please don't rattle off their names. <laughs> Miss Patty was a very business savvy woman and continued selling off the Mordecai land throughout the 1900s and investing the money and investing in the development of neighborhoods. When Miss Patty died in 1949 at the age of 89, her estate was valued at over $100,000. Oh, shit. Okay, well, that's not much. Well, that's quite a bit. Yeah, okay, that's true. With Miss Patty's death in 1949, her youngest nephew, Burke Haywood Little, inherited the house. He was the last family member to live in the Mordecai house. In 1964, Mr. Little entered a nursing home in Raleigh. After Burke's death, his brothers and cousins decided to sell the home. It was purchased by the city of Raleigh in 1968 for $60,000. With help oh. from local charitable groups, money was raised to purchase all of the furnishings inside. Today, 80% of the pieces on display in the Mordecai house are original. The house and grounds opened to the public as Mordecai, Mordecai Historic Park in 1972. Between 1968 and 1979, the Allen Kitchen, Andrew Johnson Birthplace, yes. which... Badger Iridell Law Office and St. Mark's Chapel were moved to the Mordecai property, Mordecai, Mordecai, Mordecai. 
Mordeco, Mordeco. I get it. I get it. <laughs> there that I can. <laughs> to the property from other areas of Raleigh and the state, giving the park the village-like feel it maintains today. Now, that's all I have written, but I want to reiterate the 2,000 acres that were originally owned. Yes. They were sold off, virtually built the city of Raleigh around them. That I did come across in some of my my research, too. Um, it's a really cool location, too. Cheryl's taken us down there before when we've gone back to visit um, – We've gone back to visit them in Raleigh, and she's taken us down into that whole area. It's a really lovely, lovely. It's a, a whole park area, and it's such a historic. Like it, it feels historic. Like oh, you, I believe it. It feels like you're back in the early 1800s. It's they've done a really remarkable job of preserving all of those buildings in that in that area, um, and didn't. And you might have said this, and if you did, I'm really sorry. Um, but didn't the house? <laughs> you're like, go on, I'm used to it. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck off. Hell, I even blacked out on some of this. I mean, there's way too many names. Um, didn't the house predate the city? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that's what you're saying right now is like they built the city around the house as the land was sold. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. It's a great. That's it's really a, cool. It's a really, um, it's a really great uh, house. The story, the history is really amazing, and I, I really have enjoyed this episode. Um, and I was really looking forward to your part because I'm like, I know almost nothing about Raleigh except for it was named for Sir Walter Raleigh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who was part of Queen Elizabeth the First court. And, yeah, I don't really. That's Beyond that, that's all I know. Um, I think it's really cool that that this house plantation, essentially, by them selling off the land, created the city of Raleigh. Mm-hmm. It's really it's really fascinating to to learn how such a beautiful, nice city like that comes up around something so terrible as a plantation. Right. Yeah, I agree. And 200,000 acres. Jeez, oh, man. No, just 2,000. Oh, I thought you said 200,000. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. I think in the beginning you said 200,000 acres. I may have misspoke. If I did, I deeply apologize. I... It was just 2,000 acres, which is still a very large amount of land. I mean, that's true. Not as much as 200,000. No, no. <laughs> All right, let's start over from the beginning. Arch, talk okay. to me about the history. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, so that's that's um, that's all you had? That's it. That's my part. It was good part. As always, Arch, you deliver. You got the goods. Well, you know, I, 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 I have good sources. Yes. I'll put it that way. Okay, well, then let's go ahead and we're just going to jump right into the hauntings. I got my portion from a number of locations, NorthCarolinaGhost.com, ABC11.com. Oh. Hang on. My iPad flipped, adjusted, whatever. Flipped its shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So NorthCarolinaGhost.com, ABC11.com, my 
increasingly favorite site, seeksghosts.blogspot.com, hauntedplacestogo.com, ghosts.hauntedhouses.com, and then <laughs> yeah, and then um, the Mordecai House's official website, or Mordecai. 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 The location's official. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh God, here we go. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I'm going to skip over this part because you already talked about how it went from Mordecai to Mordecai. Um, although that's really hard for me because I think in the Children of the Corn, no, that's his name is Malachi. Never mind. <laughs> I'm like, isn't there that, that, that like the main bad kid? His name is Mordecai. No, it's Malachi. Never mind. Lord. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, we're a mess. <laughs> we're a mess. Um, and gaining listeners weekly. I so thanks for supporting our mess. Uh, <laughs> we love you guys so much. Oh, which by the way, I, I was on my very first um, weekly branch call with my new branch on Friday, and um, Steve was like, "Okay, Carrie's joining us as a closer." And Carrie, why don't you tell us a little bit about your life and your podcast and your this? And I was like. Oh, oh, okay. Um, so I was talking to them and I'm like, and yes, I said my best friend Archie and I have a podcast um, about the paranormal. It's called History of a Haunting. And um, so it was a Zoom call, of course, as all meetings are anymore. Um, and some of them were on video. And <laughs> a couple of them had already like found, they found our podcast on their phones as I was telling them about it. And they held it up to the screen. And I'm like, yep, that's us. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, we, there were like 28 people on the call. So I was like, Oh my goodness, we're going to get a bunch more listeners and this is great. And <laughs> yeah. So of course I could have gone on and on forever about our podcast. And, um, uh, I was going to tell of like, you know, the locations that we've done. Cause this is episode 41 that we're doing now. God. I know. And I was going to tell them the locations and I, I was like, okay, so tell them that, you know, we've done the Stanley hotel and we've done. And total brain fart. And I'm like, I can't remember the places we've done. Like, I wasn't expecting <laughs> it. And I had a total brain fart. And I'm like, we've done more than the Stanley Hotel. What have we done? <laughs> 39 other locations. Couldn't think of a one. So I just didn't say that at all. But... <laughs> Yeah, so I I loved I loved it. Um, any opportunity I get to talk about our podcast and, and brag about it and promote it, I, I will certainly take. So, um, yeah, thanks guys. Hope you're listening. And like I said, there's going to be a pop quiz on our podcast at the next call. And for those of you who fail the quiz, um, I won't send your docs out. Ha ha. <laughs> oh. I told them that in the meeting too. Oh um, Jesus! Moving yeah, on. <laughs> Shameless. I'm shameless. Um, okay, so you rattled off like 9,000 names of the people that live there and all their children and all their... It's a very multi-generational home. Yeah, for sure. I really find that interesting, too, that it wasn't just sold to random hoo-ha fadidwa that lived there and changed it and tried to do new shit with it, but that it stayed in the family and then eventually mm. was given to the city or sold yeah. to the city. Right, right. I, I think that's pretty unique. I think it is, too. Yeah. So I'm only really going to talk about a few of those names you rattled off. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about him, and I'm like, he hasn't mentioned this one yet. He hasn't mentioned this one yet. Oh, shit. Did I? What? 
did I research the wrong house? Because I took the people that like actually haunt it. <laughs> and I was panicking as you were talking. I'm like, I haven't heard any of these names. <laughs> <laughs> so there's really just a, a handful of folks that haunt it. Um, it is actually known to be, um, or often considered to be rather, one of the most haunted houses in North Carolina. Um, <laughs> as as many locations we research happen to be the most haunted in blank. That- <laughs> yeah, it's also very similar to the Kehoe House in Savannah. Um, it's also part of a, a haunted walking tour through downtown Raleigh. And um, I didn't find a pub crawl, but I bet you they have one. Oh, I'm sure they do. Which we are absolutely doing. And then oh, we'll yeah. take an Uber back to my house. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm super excited about all of this. Um, so the ghost that inhabits the house, um, the main ghost that people see and experience most often, is said to be the spirit of Mary Willis Mordecai Turk, who lived from 19, or 1858 to 1937. Um, she apparently appears sporadically as an apparition in a gray 19th century dress, and she can occasionally be heard playing the piano in the downstairs drawing room. Um, visitors to the house have also occasionally seen a gray mist hovering near that piano. And Archie, I think it's the original piano. Like you said, there was a number of um, pieces of furniture that came with the house that they bought. That they they found out where these pieces were sold and returned them. Oh, oh, that's even cooler. More cool? Aaron, write that down. <laughs> Which is grammatically correct. Um, that's actually even better. This piano um, that she is said to play that people can hear, especially staff when like, they're closing up at night and there's nobody around, um, is so super fucking old. We're, we'll definitely put pictures of that up on our social media. Um, but it's this piano that she is, is said to play. Um, now, like I said, um, the house is often considered to be one of the most haunted houses in North Carolina. Um, Josh Ingersoll, who is the director of historic sites within the city of Raleigh, said that there have been so many experiences here, so much so that the house has actually partnered with a local um, paranormal investigative team called the Ghost Guild Incorporated. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, they are the official um, paranormal investigators for the house, and they've conducted a number of investigations. They've been featured on local news, all kinds of stuff of things that they have caught. Um as you had mentioned, items belonging to the Mordecai family are still filling the home, including this piano. The music from the piano is, fills the room. Um, again, kind of like um, uh, Flora Stanley in the Stanley Hotel. Like she likes to play the piano, but you know, then you walk into the room and then she stops playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's not playing for us. She's playing for her. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be the same thing. It's got to be the same thing. Um, so, again, her fascination with the piano um, has actually kind of extended into her manifesting as a gray mist um, around the piano. So, um, now, Mary Willis died in the early 1900s, and it is thought that she did die in the home, although it's not known which room. There is one room that has a particular photo of her in the room, and it's it's known that if on tours, this photo will just 
knock itself over or fall off its table if something is said about her or the family that she doesn't approve of. Oh. So I guess if you're in there and you're looking around and you're talking shit about the family or her or whatever, <laughs> this photograph of her just plop, like falls over, falls off the furniture, whatever. Um, that's a common occurrence too, which I think if it were me, <laughs> I would probably huck my picture of me at whoever's talking shit. But I mean, if this is what she wants to do, it. <laughs> don't come they to live, my house and talk shit. Right. Yeah. They live different non, non-confrontational lives back then. <laughs> that's when they had manners. <laughs> now we're all just a bunch of Karens and Kens and we don't give a fuck. <laughs> fuck you for talking shit. I'm going to throw my picture at you to make sure you know I know you're talking about me. Yeah, I hear you. (laughs) (laughs) That is not how it happened. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, again, the Ghost Guild is the official paranormal investigative team of the Mordecai Historic Park. Uh, Nelson Naus, who is an investigator with the group, said that investigations have found a bunch of instances that just cannot be explained. He described one member's experience um, as he reached the top of the stairs of the house. So the stairs, have you seen pictures of the house? Uh, just mostly exterior. Okay. So the stairs go up and then there's a landing and then they go oh, to the Wait. The what? Stair, the stairs go up? <laughs> Look, it was very progressive in this day. The stairs, they go up. I'm sorry. They go up, they stop at a landing, and then they go up again to the left. And then they just go right back down. It's weird. Um, This is why I don't have my usual cocktails at your house. It's fun. Okay. So, um, yes, the stairs, they go up to a landing, and then they go up to the left. At this landing, apparently, where was I? I don't even know in my notes oh where my I'm at. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, where am I? Hang on. <laughs> okay, hang on. Ah, okay. So this investigator, apparently one time she walked up these stairs, because that's how they go. Uh, <laughs> And she couldn't go past, like, once she got to the the landing there, she couldn't go past the next set of stairs because she said the feeling of sorrow there was so intense. I'm just scrolling through my notes real quick here. Did you come across in your your research where after the time of the Civil War, the family lost a ton of money? No. So the family lost almost all of their money during the time of like right after the civil war. And so it's a lot of, there's feelings of a lot of anxiety, stress and sadness are felt in certain rooms of that house. And they attribute it to the fact that the family went through basically kind of the emotional ringer during that time, because I mean, well, but you would, I mean, everybody who has suffered severe financial hardship knows what that feels like. Well, I mean, this is after the Civil War? Right, yeah. So they lost all of their enslaved help. No, they actually lost... Well, I mean, they lost their enslaved help, yeah, but they actually lost money in the bank. So... I mean... It, 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 was, it, was, <laughs> it was... It may have been a financial hardship. I mean, I get where you're going with it, but 
it wasn't just the 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 slaves that they lost. It was they lost. I don't. I, it doesn't really go into too much detail about um, how the family or the home was involved in the Civil War specifically. But um, once the war was completed, once the war was completed, completed. <laughs> like it was, like it was wow. an exercise in culture. <laughs> um, uh, once the war was over, the family fortune was nearly non-existent. As a result, it is said there is a sense of emotions running high within the structure, and you will feel that as you go through it. And I guess okay. at this one particular area of the house, extreme sadness sort of it tends to overwhelm extremely sensitive people. So I'm kind of curious as to how you'll feel. Oh God. Yeah. Thumbs up. Okay. Yeah. Thumbs up. It's great to be an empath. It is. You're, I mean, I'm an empath too, but you're far stronger than me. So is Chris, but, um, yeah, I can't wait. Okay. I can't wait to put you in awkward situations and see. Yeah. <laughs> so nothing has changed. The status quo is still the same. <laughs> For 35 years. Um, so, um, Mary's apparition is often seen in the home's hallways and late at night witnesses have seen her standing on the front balcony. One former male coworker at the home reported that he saw various items move on their own and he can also hear phantom footsteps upstairs, which the home, um, it looks old inside. So the Kehoe house in Savannah looks very new. I mean, people, it's being used as a bed and breakfast. So, I mean. Right, right. So it's updated. It's. mm, mm -hmm. For sure, for sure. This house looks, reminds me a lot of the Whaley house in San Diego in that it's all been just maintained exactly the way it was. It's, it's period accurate. Exactly. And so it it probably does have, you know, pretty, maybe pretty thin wood, hardwood floors throughout that you hearing footsteps is. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and with 80% of the original furniture, mm-hmm. I'm sure that certainly keeps it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, so hearing phantom footsteps upstairs doesn't surprise me in the least. I mean, I hear phantom footsteps upstairs when I'm at Jennifer's house. And <laughs> so it's oh. just when you have a hardwood floors throughout the an entire home, even if you carpet it, that doesn't you're still going to hear people walking around upstairs. Yeah. So uh, paranormal investigative teams that have investigated the home state they feel um Again, an overwhelming sense of sorrow at the top of the stairs. Um, And then it's, again, my notes say that after the Civil War, during Mary's time in the home, the Mordecai family lost their fortune. It was, the home was also featured on uh, Ghost Hunters. And again, you you guys that have been with us from the start, I talk about the show. I love the show. Some of the most insane evidence I have ever seen has been caught by the ghost hunters. Um, this episode isn't one of their best. <laughs> it, it is even is it's not even one of their most decent. Um, <laughs> they don't catch a whole lot in, in it. And um, at one point, one of the investigators confuses the Mordecai house with the Andrew Johnson birth j- birthplace. <laughs> It was, it's an embarrassing episode for him. So well, well, I'm a big I, fan. I thought, Sorry, I, I, brought thought that I, I thought I read that um, Andrew Johnson was actually born. Well, if, if not in the house, but at least on the property. 
Was he born? Well, from what I remember and understand, it's a separate place. The building originally stood on the backside of Lot 162, where Casso's Inn was located. So it is in the same property, but it's not the same house. Okay. Extensive research, da-da-da-da-da. So Mordecai Historic Park is a whole area of buildings, and his birthplace is in this park. Okay. So, yeah, one of the investigators confused the Mordecai house with Andrew Johnson's birthplace, which is a— He was close. (laughs) He was close. I mean, it's a simple mistake to make, but— Yeah, it wasn't one of their more shining moments. Um, (laughs) Sorry, Ghost Hunters. (laughs) Jason, Grant, Steve, Dave, you're all listening, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) Please don't hold this against me. You chose to air the episode. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the Ghost Guild, um, the paranormal group that is the official paranormal investigators of the house, the lead investigator that I mentioned earlier, Nelson Naus, um, while doing a recent spirit box session in the home, he asked the spirit in the home, do you want me to stay or do you want me to leave? The ghost replied by stating a firm leave several times. <laughs> yeah. So um, back going back to the Civil War days, many fights and deaths occurred near and in the structure. So as a result, it's believed that many spirits linger hopelessly in the afterlife, trying to find some sense of familiarity. Apparitions that reflect men who served in the Civil War, nurses, nurses, no, (laughs) nurses stationed at the medical outposts, and others have been reported by many who live in this area of Raleigh and who have visited this house to be have seen them in the house around as well as around the grounds of the house, these different civil war era individuals, which that would be a trip and a half. Right. Oh, (laughs) that's right. I was like, what is this whole paragraph? So Burke little, the last person to live in the home. Mm hmm. Um, once he passed away, like you said, the home was turned into a landmark and tours were established so that people could in the area could experience the culture and history of the plantation. However, almost immediately, these unusual events began to occur. Um, one example of these incidents noted by tour guides and tourists alike is that throughout the home, several pictures of the individuals who resided in the home over the years have been hung up and as tour guides mentioned certain names of those pictured those pictures seem to fling themselves off the walls oh yeah i can i can relate yeah. <laughs> you can relate how could you relate i i mean if i was stuck on it in a home like that and people talked about me as they were referencing a picture of me hell yeah i'm gonna knock that shit off the wall that's funny you're not even telling it right that's not what i said <laughs> Um, one of my favorites that I found was one afternoon after um, the manor was closed to the public, a housekeeper was cleaning the dining room. Just as she had finished in the dining room and had started to wipe down the woodwork by the doorway to the dining room, she saw what she thought was a guide coming out of the library and then proceeded to walk down the hall toward her. The housekeeper was wondering what she was doing there because the guides aren't typically there while the cleaning crew is in in the house. Right. So she described the mysterious guide as a pretty um, and familiar-looking woman. Uh, She was dressed in a long black pleated skirt and a white midi-type blouse and black tie. Um, When the guide walked past the housekeeper, she didn't acknowledge her presence, and she kind of walked by like she owned the place, sort of like, 
um, her with her head <laughs> with her head in the air, her eyes looking forward, which apparently annoyed the housekeeper. <laughs> So this seemingly full of herself tour guide walked through the par- parlor door into the parlor and the housekeeper didn't hear any further sounds. When the guy didn't come out, the housekeeper looked into the parlor and found that nobody was there. Um, and apparently this tour guide would have had to have come out of the parlor and past the housekeeper. Like there's no other way you right, go in right. and out the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, So a little bit later, the housekeeper realized that this woman was not a tour guide, but actually did own the place uh, in the 1800s. (laughs) This fully formed, solid, life-size walking apparition was Margaret Lane, as the housekeeper realized this was the same woman she had seen in a portrait that hangs in Mordecai Manor. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so... So that's what they have on the hauntings of um, of the place. I, I think it's funny that, um, you know, they're there and they're listening. And if you piss them off, they're going to throw a picture at you. I, I think that's pretty amusing. <laughs> I support them in that in that endeavor. Um, <laughs> so my no before you go section. So Mordecai Historic Park does have on their website immediately um, because, again, every the COVID-19 has gone You know, we've all jumped over that fucking cliff again and cases are sky high. So right away, the website does say that Raleigh Parks has temporarily closed some facilities. For more information, click on the red COVID-19 banner um, above. But it is located in Mordecai Historical Park. Its address is 1 Mimosa Street, which love that already. Uh, Right. In Raleigh, North Carolina, 27604, was opened in 1785. Um, It is open, um, I believe it's open Tuesday through Sunday, opens at 9 a.m. If you have any questions you want, um, you know, to find out, like, what their hours are, when they're going to be planning to open, again, um, you can give them a call at area code 919-996-996. Four three six four. Um, so the, for the admission, the tours of the Mordecai House and the outbuildings are offered um, at the top of every hour. Tours begin at 10 a.m. and the last tour begins at three. Each tour is approximately 50 minutes long. Adults are seven dollars. Seniors are four. Um, youths are four dollars. <laughs> children six and under are free. Um, I say youths because ever since I saw my cousin Vinny. Uh-huh. Yeah, we two, get it. <laughs> yeah. The two, the two utes. The two utes, what, yes. what is a What is a ute? What is a ute? <laughs> two youths. So I, I do that now. Oh, no, God. Never, <laughs> ute, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it is also worth noting that public tours are not offered when school groups are on site. So, oh, yeah. uh, I mean, you know, it, right now all the, the, you know, kids going back to school, everything's up in the air. Nobody knows what the fuck is going on, but eventually guys, this is all going to settle down. It's all going to get better. And, um, the kiddos are going to go back to in-person learning and go on their amazing field trips. So just so you know, you're probably better off to book an afternoon ticket because you won't be allowed when the kids are tromping through the ghostly house. <laughs> So that's what I had on the Mordecai um, house. I'm super excited to go and visit this place. I, I think Raleigh is, is such a beautiful, amazing city. It's got so much history. It's lovely at all times of the year. Um, so I'm excited for this new chapter in our lives to, to go in and live um, 
back in a place that has so much um, rich cultural history and closer to family. And uh, yeah, so you're going to uh, have to it's... with us. And that's just the end of it. <laughs> there you have that. That's that on that. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's all I got for the Mordecai house. So what oh, about you, Arch? That's great. That was amazing. Thank you. I love all of, of it. Yay. Uh, what are we, where are we taking them next week? Ooh, we're taking them to Shanghai tunnels. That's right. Oh, mm-hmm. that'll be a good one. Have you done any research or heard about them at all? Well, I know it's not in China. It's <laughs> what is it? Port Portland, Portland, Oregon. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm looking forward to looking, looking I, this up. I think you'll enjoy the history. I mean, it's a sucky history, but I think you'll find well, it. Of course it is. I mean, all the history stuff. <laughs> I mean, if it, if it didn't have tragic, unspeakable history, then it, we wouldn't be talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever haunted a place because they were so fucking happy there in life. Um, oh, God, but they true. should. Well, it's actually not true, though. Stan- the Stanley Hotel, the Flora and F.O. Stanley loved that place so much. that. So that's actually not true. Oh, okay. All right. Forget I said that. Carrie. <laughs> Carrie, <laughs> Carrie, that. Carrie, edit that out. Carrie, edit that out. Um yeah. <laughs> okay, well, Arch, where can the folks find us? They should know by now, but in case this is their first episode. We can be found all over social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Although, you know what? We do not have a Snapchat and we do not have a TikTok, which is another thing people have asked if we have and or are getting. Um which I think we- we're too I think we're too old for Snapchat or TikTok. <laughs> I think we might be, but yeah, if we add any more social media platforms, I, I've actually kind of been tossing around, maybe considering asking Emma if she would run our social media. Oh, um, and I'd pay her. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. Um, but if we out, if, out of our tens of dollars on our Patreon, <laughs> Patreon money, mm-hmm. um, but if we add new social media platforms, then I definitely would be like, I can't do all this. <laughs> <laughs> I might need your help. So, yeah, that's something that I was kind of tossing around. And I I don't know, maybe it will. It, it might be something that that I actually do pull the trigger on and make that offer to her um, once we get sometimes people suck up and running. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, with with that being said, we are at. H-O-A-H podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, of course, Patreon, and our website, www.hoahpodcast.com. Yes. Am I missing anything? I don't think so. Not not yet, anyways. Not, not, <laughs> not yet, anyway, yeah. Um, no, I think that's it. Okay, uh, good. We're going to bounce out of here, guys. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Next week, we bring you the Shanghai Tunnels and um, the very first episode, two episodes, actually, of Sometimes People Suck. We are going to release on August 4th. That's going to be – those episodes are going to come out on Wednesdays every week. Wow. I lied. Just kidding. August 5th. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing in my own life or my own podcast. So uh, it's, that's how we roll. That's how we roll. Winging it in life. And so, yeah, 
still winging it. So add another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, be looking for that. We will start promoting um, with our promo for Sometimes People Suck in the next coming episodes. And um, that's all I got. All right. Yay. All right. Okay. Okay. So we'll be back to our normal recording next week in studio. Correct, Amundo? As far as I know. Stay safe out there. Uh, Remember, you never know who. Or what. Is listening. Bye, guys. Bye.